I want to I look forward um, into 2016, but, but before we do, and we're very future-focused, don't, don't get me wrong, but before we do, I want to spend today just reaching back a little. And I want us to reach back a little because it's quite likely, and I don't say this to be a mongrel, I say this, it's, just, it's quite likely that through the year, God may have actually called you to do something, to change something, to pick something up, and you may not have yet done that, okay? Maybe you've left something on the table. And before we start the 2016 New Year's resolutions, I just want to take a little bit of time today to, to just review. Is there anything, before we leap into 2016, is there anything you may have left on the table? And, 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 and if so, my strong encouragement is to pick it up at the end of 2015 and run into 2016 with what that is. One of the ways that God speaks uh, to His church is through the preaching of His Word. And uh, we take our preaching very seriously here. We, we work hard. We bring our best. And, uh, and I know from the stories that we get feedback that God speaks to people through the preaching of His Word. So let me just do a little recap of our 2015 preaching. Not everything, but just a couple of the highlights. And uh, it might trigger something in you that was like, oh yeah, I remember God spoke to me then and, and, I, and I think I left that on the table. I remember God revealed that to me then and I think I've left it on the table. I, I, now that you mentioned that, Mark, I can, I can, I can recall God asking me something and, and I've left it on the table. Well, great opportunity to pick it up today and uh, carry it into 2016. Um, if you've joined us at some point during the year, the good news, as Louis mentioned, is that um, we have our podcasts. In fact, uh, does anyone know what this is? You Samsung people just make yourselves look really silly when you make comments like that. Um, how many think this is a phone? Correct. It's not. It's a computer that occasionally makes phone calls. But let me tell you one of its best uses. Whether you use a Samsung copycat device or whether you use an industry-leading device like myself, it has a feature on it where you can listen free of charge to messages Anywhere you go, you can take it with you. Any message you've heard before, you can listen to it again. Any message you've missed, you can catch up. Uh, this thing is glued to me throughout the day listening to podcasts. Free input. It's like a university degree every day. Uh, Stewie and I have been doing a bit of bike riding together lately. I've had to, I've had to leave my earbuds at home while I'm riding with Stewie, just because so he doesn't think I'm antisocial. Stewie, listening to a podcast. Shut up. Pedal. You can put, uh, I've had tradies in my house, so I put this in my pocket. I put my little earphones in. I listen to podcasts when I'm working through the day. Uh, you can have this on in your car. You can have this on while you're doing the dishes. You can have this. And, and, and here's the thing. Uh, you'd be silly not to. This didn't exist 15 years ago, this option. And God's made it easier than ever to make sure we get regular input. So look, here's what you might have caught. Here's what you might have missed. 
We started the year in January with a, a series called Sticks and Stones, five secret weapons to make your New Year's resolutions more than words. And we looked at the story of David and how God prepared David uh, through a process that would eventually see him um, kill Goliath and, and win the day for the people of Israel, for God and the people of Israel. And the five secret weapons, they're not secret anymore if you listen to our podcast, but I'll give you a little spoiler. Anointing, that, that when God gives us an assignment, He gives us an anointing, a power. We're anointed to accomplish our assignment. The assignments God gives us, He doesn't just expect us to do them in our own strength with just our own smarts and just our own experience. He gives us a supernatural ability to accomplish assignments. Anointing, ability, attitude, approach, an advantage. We actually have, David had an advantage over Goliath that was more than just skill, that was God on his side. And when we take on assignments, we've got God on our sides, sticks and stones. We then transitioned into a series called Crash the Chatterbox. This was incredible. I got a ton of feedback and still do, by the way. People remembered this. The, the, the picture that we taught from Crash the Chatterbox is that there's a land grab for the piece of real estate between our ears. On one shoulder, we've got God speaking constantly, life, faith, future, promise, hope, joy. And on the other shoulder, we've got the enemy, the devil, trying to tell us, oh, did God really say that? You're an idiot. How could you even believe that? You could never do that. And this land grab is constant. And we, whilst we can't ever shut the devil up because he's persistent, we can choose to drown him out by turning up the volume of the voice of God in our lives and crash the chatterbox. Listen to God more than yourself. And in and, and, and case in point, Jess Everson uh, mentioned a few weeks ago how she was going through a little bit of a, a chatterbox kind of season uh, in her mind, intense season. And uh, her battle plan was every night coming home from the office, she re-listened to the podcasts from this teaching series and it helped her... Uh, recalibrate things for, for that season. We then talked about consider the source. Source, S-O-U-R-C-E. Consider the source, not past the source. And the, the big question is who or what do you think is your source? Who or what is your source of joy? Who or what is your source of fulfillment? Who or what is your source of, of financial income? Who or what is your source of emotional stability? Who or what is your source of life and energy? And, and, and we can make the mistake of become, becoming overly self-reliant, thinking that we're the source. We can become overly reliant on other people and, and start to exhibit some codependency tendencies and, and, and ask of other people things that, 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 that's unrealistic to expect of them. You know, when I uh, do, do weddings, I only do weddings for Elevate people, and, and, uh, uh, but I've done a couple this year. I actually changed the script of what I read in a, in a wedding, the vows to me, the vows to the minister. So they're, they're getting married, the couple, and I'm doing the, the ceremony. And I used to have a line when they did the vows to me, um, uh, will you take, uh, Stephen Renati was a few weeks ago, will you take Renati in, in, in marriage? Will you give to her? Will you this? Will you that? Will you complete her in every way? I erased that. That's not in the vows anymore. Will you complete her in every way? That's not your spouse's job to complete you in every way. I know. You're welcome. See, you didn't vow to do that, Steve. A year ago. No, no, no. You're right. Thank God you're not expected to complete your spouse in every way. 
add value, speak life, absolutely. But God is what completes us. A relationship with Jesus is what completes us. Our, our finances, the source of, of financial provision doesn't come from our boss. It comes from God. And if you think it comes from your boss, well, what happens when you get fired? All of a sudden you think I've got no source. No, Yeah, you do. As long as you understand that God's ultimately the source. And, and, then, and then, by the way, if you know that God's the source, you don't have to have a scarcity mindset thinking that there's, there's, there's no more where that came from. You can live with an abundance mindset knowing that we can be generous by giving finances away because guess what? There's plenty more where that came from when we understand that God's the source of our finances. The hope of glory around Easter. Easter, if you were there on the, on, the, on the Friday and the Saturday, you lost hope. Jesus' followers lost hope. They started quivering and shaking. One of his, his uh, poster boys denied him three times. I'm going to talk about that this morning. They didn't understand that the hope was in what Jesus was about to do. And what he was about to do is based on who he said he was that he was the Son of God sent to earth to restore a relationship with God for us, to defeat death, to conquer sin. Ah, ah. What do you put your hope in? That's another question to recalibrate. What do we put our hope in? Is it on people? Is it on circumstances? Everything other than Jesus is going to let us down on occasions. We put our hope in Jesus, the hope of glory. Then we talked about multiply. The Bible is not about maintaining the status quo. The kingdom of God is not about addition. God is big on multiplication. Right back in the beginning, when the Bible says, in the beginning, talks about how God created the heavens and the earth, and then, and then finish, finished it, and then, and then God, for some stupid reason, put us in charge, said, manage what I've created. Like, you know, I created it, I own it, but I want you to manage it. But here's how you manage it. You, you multiply it. You multiply the good things. You multiply my creation. Multiply. And so we taught about multiplication, not just in the area of finances, but we certainly taught in the area of finances. But the, the most important principle I think that we taught, and we taught this on week one of multiply, is called the principle of the first. It's said different ways depending on who the preacher is, but when I'm preaching it, it's called the principle of the first. It's all about putting God first in absolutely everything we do, including our finances, including our time, including our relationships. Instead of going down and yelling up, you guys are here. You are doing the principle of the first. Well done. And the idea is that when we give God the first and the best, the rest is blessed. I don't know. I said that back then. And I said it again today. It was worth repeating. We then uh, caught Jess Evers' attention by teaching a series called Hashtag Struggles. She loves a good hashtag. Uh, social media is a thing. I don't know if you noticed. It's a thing. It's a pretty growing thing. And... Uh, there's this some upsides, there's some downsides, there's some bright sides, there's some dark sides. The big idea when we taught through this series, Hashtag Struggles, is that the, the cry of the human heart is exactly the same today as it was pre-social media, as it was pre-electricity. That God has created us with certain things in our heart 
that he wants us to prioritize. We talked about contentment. Contentment isn't found in who follows us. It's found when we follow Jesus. We talked about relationships and the need for deep-spirited friendships and how social media can create the, the illusion of friendship without the deep-spirited connectedness that can only happen in one-on-one, face-to-face relationships. We talked about compassion, seeing all this stuff, uh, cat video, <laughs> oh, cute baby meme, <laughs> oh, a person in developing country without clean drinking water, oh, it's a shame, scroll, 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 <laughs> another cat video. And it desensitizes us to some of the things that God wants us to actually be incredibly gripped by. Then we had guest speaker Tanya Watson teach about authenticity, by the way. In case you didn't notice, next time Tanya speaks here, she won't be a guest speaker because Neil and Tanya Watson are now Elevate Church. They're getting the t-shirts with the hashtag, Jess Everson. We are Elevate Church. And then I talked about rest. Some of you didn't get that memo. That was mid-year. You finished the year cooked. Go back and listen to that. Oh, yeah. Face palm. Should have rested. Then we taught a series called Infinite, eight of the greatest stories forever told. You know the Bible is a history book, Right? It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a book of Aesop's fables. It's a book about stuff that actually happened. But it's not just a book to be read like history, like, oh, that's nice, oh, that's interesting, oh, that's, that's uh, wonderful. And you go and play Bible trivia pursuit and you crush everyone. It's about stories and people and situations that we can learn from today, even though they may have happened many thousands of years ago. Adam and Eve, Moses, Elijah, Daniel, Jonah, prodigal son, Peter, and then finally Jesus. We talked about all of that. Then we did a, a thing that we, we, we don't ever plan, but it happens and we're open to it. We, 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 we scrubbed the program that we had for the rest of the year because I felt God wanted us to teach on some different stuff than we had planned. God said, there's been a change of plans. And we said, all right, what do you got? And it was obvious to, to me and some of our leaders that a number of you were facing some new challenges. We're coming up, some new challenges were coming your way. And the thing that's necessary when we face new challenges is new levels of faith and courage. And so we taught a series called How to Be Brave and uh, actually taught it from a little uh, part of a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Uh, he, he said to them right at the, uh, chapter 4, we, in fact, yeah, we just taught from chapter 4, be anxious for nothing. And uh, people that are facing new challenges often face new levels of anxiety. And yet Paul's saying, no, 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 you can actually have new levels of faith and courage and actually see your anxiety levels go down. And we taught about how to do that. And for the next three, four weeks, we taught on how to be brave. And then we redefined what for some of you previously may have been a bad phrase. We redefined it, the phrase stretch marks. And we turned it into a good thing. Insert laughter. Um, thank you. Um, if we don't go the stretch, we won't experience the strength, was the big idea. That, that, again, God's not wanting us to stay where we are, just doing the same things in the same ways. He's wanting to stretch us. And if we go the stretch, we'll experience the strength. God doesn't want us to stay here and rely on circumstances. He wants us to go there, keep moving in faith. And then we taught a series called Mood Swingers. Learn to control your emotions and not have them control you. 
And that was actually, I know I got a lot of feedback from, from you guys from that one, that circumstances you may have previously let your emotions take control, you were able to focus on God and His Holy Spirit and allow that self-control to come through. Then, for the weeks leading up to Christmas, we've been teaching a series called The Genius of Jesus. And I want to land that series today. But I want to land it with the opportunity, as I've already mentioned, of you asking the question, is there anything I've left on the table this year that I need to pick up and run with into 2016? I like humor. I occasionally use it. I even occasionally get laughs when I use it. Louie and I were having the conversation yesterday. There are some people who are funny and there are some people who are fun. Very rarely do you find someone that's both. Louie's not funny, but she's fun. I am not fun. I am hashtag boring, but I like funny. Occasionally happens. And one of my favorite sorts of humor is humor that's got an unpredictable twist as the punchline. Something like, I like long walks, especially when they're taken by people who annoy me. It's a good one. Yeah? It's a good one. I like that one. A couple of weeks ago, one of the podcasts I listened to is called Stuff You Should Know, and they did a podcast on the late comedian Rodney Dangerfield. Here's him if uh, you've never heard of him or haven't seen him. Remember this guy? Remember this guy, Rodney Dangerfield? He was all about the unpredictable twist at the end of his, of his gags. Let me give you a few. I knew I had a drinking problem when I went to the doctor and he took a urine sample and I passed an olive. Wow, what a child I ha- childhood I had. Why? When I took my first step, my old man tripped me. I didn't write these. I could tell my parents hated me. My bath toys were a toaster and a radio. <laughs> I love it. He's a thousand. You can go to his uh, website and just... Uh, Laugh until 1.30 in the morning if you want to. <laughs> Jokes that are unpredictable. How many of you have observed that life is unpredictable? How many of you over the age of 40, I don't you call that your age, just how many of you, like me, over the age of 40, have certain circumstances, for better or for worse, that are different than what you kind of envision when you're in your 20s? Life's unpredictable. It's impossible to predict our future, and often the way we picture life is really the way that we're going to experience it. But here's the thing. The sooner we realize that life is unpredictable and accept that life is unpredictable, the more content we'll be. And the good news is that God doesn't actually call us to predict our future. He calls us to be interested in our future. He calls us to orient ourselves in a way that our future will look like the future He has in mind for us. But the way we achieve the future God has in mind for us isn't by us predicting it. It's simply the genius of Jesus is about us following Him closely and obeying everything He asks us to do. That's the way we experience the future that God has for us, not by predicting it. And thankfully, Jesus is great at predictions. I'm aware, you know, I've said this a few times, people ask me, so what do you do for a living, Mark? And I tell them, I lead a church, 
and, and the conversation gets super awkward at that moment for them. Um, one of the reasons is that a lot of people that don't follow Jesus think that those who do follow Jesus believe in a bunch of fairy tales, right? Like, how could you possibly believe that? Well, let me, let me give you an example. There's over 300 predictions about Jesus in the old part of the Bible, the Old Testament. Over 300 predictions about him. He hadn't come yet. There were over 300 predictions predicting that he was going to come in and various aspects about his life. 500 years before Jesus came, a guy named Daniel predicted the exact date that Jesus would be born, 500 years beforehand. 700 years before Jesus was born, a prophet named Micah predicted the exact circumstances of Jesus' birth, 700 years before it actually happened. And a 1,000 years before Jesus was born, a guy named David predicted how Jesus was going to die by crucifixion, a thousand years before Jesus was born. David predicted he was going to die by crucifixion. That form of capital punishment hadn't even been invented yet. And yet David predicted that Jesus was going to die hanging on a tree. Now, the odds of Jesus fulfilling all 300 plus predictions, how many would like to know what those odds are? Before I do, let me give you a bit of context. Here's here's some odds. The odds of being struck by lightning in a year is one in 700,000. It's not many. The odds of being killed, having been struck by lightning, is one in two million. The odds of you, if you were living in the US, of becoming the president is one in 10 million. The odds of a meteorite landing on your house is one in 180, lots of zeros. And then, of course, the odds you eventually die is one on one. Um, In... Uh, DePaul University in Chicago, one of the professors there, John Stoner, I would have changed my name by now, um, he, he calculated the odds of Jesus fulfilling all 300 plus prophecies that were said about him, predictions, as being this. Throw that number up, Zodwa. Next slide. One in 10 to the power of 28. It's not very good odds. Don't put money on that bet. But he did. He fulfilled all 300 plus predictions about him. And look, I'm going to take that as proof that Jesus is who he says he is. And I'm also going to take it as proof that Jesus always does the things he said he was going to do. I'll give you an example of that. There's a story recorded by Luke. It's in chapter 22. If you want to flip your Bible app open, you can do that. We're going to put it on the screen in a moment. Two weeks ago, I talked from a recording of the last breakfast. And for some of you, you didn't even know there was a last breakfast. Jesus had a last breakfast. Pretty cool. Um, If you weren't here, you can get that on the podcast. Unfortunately, you'll miss my and Jordan's uh, figure four leg lock demo. It's one of the many reasons to make sure you're here live on a Sunday. Man, man, we are, whew, gee, it was fantastic. You okay? Good, all right, cool. Didn't take you long to tap out, though. Yeah, if, how many of you were here when I did the figure for Lego? Let, let me let you in on a little bit of a behind-the-curtain story. I was, got Jordan up. He didn't even know what I was going to do. I had just said to him before we started, hey, buddy, I'm going to need you to do something. Here's the instructions. Do what I say and do it quickly. That was the instructions. Right, good boy. 
okay? So he comes up, and, uh, and, I, and I got him in the figure four leg lock, and uh, I didn't do it to hurt him. I mean, it was, you know, it's like modern-day wrestling. It's not real. And, um, and I did it, and as I was doing the figure four leg lock, he got a cramp in his groin. Had had nothing to do with the move I was pulling on him. He was, he was tapping out the submission move. <laughs> got to get out of here because my groin's cramping. He didn't tell me that until later. That was funny. Anyway, that was the last breakfast. <laughs> Today, I want to just, in the time we've got left, talk from the story of the Last Supper. So Jesus, who knew he was going to die, gathered his closest followers, his disciples, together in a room and had a meal with them. It's called the Last Supper. It wasn't called that then. It just was like a meal, but it's the Last Supper. And um, goodness me, what just happened? The, um, <laughs> that's my best horse impersonation, completely unscripted. Insert horse impersonation. No, I didn't say that. Um, Jesus, so they're having the meal, and at one point, Jesus turns to one of his followers, a guy named Simon Peter, who was the, the, uh, uh, along with Jordan, was the uh, focal point of the last breakfast message two weeks ago. And he said this to, to him, and this guy's name was Simon, he, Jesus, which meant uh, shifty, like sand. Uh, Jesus had said, no, you're not like that anymore. The way I see you is you're Peter, rock, the rock, Petros. We can build on you. We can't build on Simon. We can build on Peter. Interestingly, having already said that, Jesus addresses Simon, the guy he used to be. Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate you, all of you from me, like chaff from wheat. But Simon, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, same guy, Peter said, Master, I'm ready for anything with you. I'd go to jail for you. I'd die for you, exclamation mark. And Jesus said, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, Peter, but before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times, denied that you know me. Jesus predicted something about Simon Peter. Let me drill into that short exchange real quickly. See that first bit. Satan has tried his best to separate you all from me like chaff from wheat. Jesus didn't stop that. The, the, Jesus knew that the devil was going to test them, and he didn't stop it. And some of us have been sold the myth that Jesus stops all the tests. If you start to follow him, you never have to go through any tests. And it's simply not true. And in fact, uh, the second week of the genius of Jesus, we talked all about testing, passing your test. And the good thing about tests, and I made the point back then, is what is tested can be trusted. The tests actually build something in us. And Jesus lets some tests come our way. And so the question, you don't have to put your hand up or anything, but, but I wonder if you've ever failed a test that Jesus has either given you or allowed to come your way. Didn't obey an assignment that Jesus gave you or, or maybe obeyed it, maybe said, yeah, I'll do it. But instead of listening to the master's instructions, you decide you were going to do it your own way. And hey, guess what? Didn't quite turn out the way Jesus wanted, and so you failed the test. Well, Jesus said a very interesting thing next. I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. He didn't pray that Simon wouldn't fail. In fact, he was predicting that Simon would fail. And, 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 and we could take it actually 
ironically, a little bit of consolation in that, that we will fail. And Jesus doesn't always pray that we won't fail, but what he did pray is that our faith wouldn't fail. Meaning, even when we do fail, our faith will allow us to come back to the source for restoration. Because here's the next thing that Jesus said, and when you've turned back, Strengthen your brothers. In the same breath that Jesus predicted that Simon was going to fail, he then said, and you're going to turn back. That even when you've failed, even when you've quit on me, I'm not going to quit on you. Now, Peter did a stupid thing. Peter, Peter pushed back. He tried to, to arm wrestle the predictor. Oh, no way, Jesus. No, none of that's true. Deny you three times. <laughs> Mate, I'm going to go to jail for you if I have to. Mate, I'd even die for you if I'd have to. Arguing with the author of life is a case study in futility. Better to accept that he's probably telling the truth in the first place. And sure enough, Jesus got led off to be crucified rather than following him and fighting for him and being willing to go to jail for him and be willing to die for him. Peter skulked away, terrified that someone would associate him as one of Jesus' close followers. And sure enough, they did. They asked him, hey, mate, you, yeah, weren't you one of his followers? Uh, no, not me. You must be thinking of someone else. And he, and, he, and he denied Jesus, denied knowing him, even knowing him, let alone being one of his close followers, three times, just like the predictor predicted. And, and we see him, and this was around two weeks ago, the last breakfast. The guy, Peter, now having failed the test, the guy that was always the first to speak up, we found him suddenly lost for words in a very dark place. Perhaps thinking to himself, I never thought I'd find myself here. As I mentioned, I do occasionally do weddings, and uh, I'm 100% confident that every single couple that, that, that I've done a wedding for, and, and I'd say this is close to being true, maybe universally, when they make the vows to one another, that, that, that they will honor one another, that they will commit to one another in sickness, in health, for better, for worse, in good times and bad, that, that they meant that. I, I, I absolutely believe that in, in almost every case. Um, and yet I wonder when some of those same couples find themselves sitting at the lawyer's office signing the divorce papers, if they may be thinking to themselves, I never thought I'd find myself here. I wonder, some of you who pride yourself on being a great friend, a great spouse, a great parent, a great family member, a great colleague, a great boss, a great employee, when is, as is inevitable, you let people down, you'll be the first to, to say to yourself, I never thought I'd find myself here. I wonder if some of you who've gone back to the habits that Jesus freed you from, old ways of doing things, old ways of thinking, 
are maybe sitting and saying to yourself, having experienced the better life that Jesus had for you, tasted and seen that the Lord is good, wondering, I never thought I'd find myself here. And so we find that Peter is in this dark space. (laughs) And then while he was away, on the Sunday after Jesus was crucified, three ladies uh, went to go to Jesus' tomb to, to embalm the body, like kind of wrap, wrap him up in burial clothes and prepare him from that point. And uh, they arrived at the tomb, and there would have been a big rock in front of the tomb to seal him in. It was, it was, it was kind of weird. It was like seal him in. He was dead. It was like, it was just weird. But anyway, stop people getting in, all sorts of reasons. The, 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 the rock was actually rolled away and the entrance to the tomb was exposed. And these three ladies, uh, wondering what was going on, uh, this angel appeared to them. And uh, he said, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, the one they nailed on the cross. Uh, he's been raised up. He's, he's here no longer. You can see for yourself that the place is empty. And Jesus had predicted this, by the way. Now, on your way, tell his disciples and Peter burn notice. Tell his disciples and Peter, who was one of his disciples. What's that all about? Someone called the Burns Unit. Tell, tell his followers, tell Elevate Church oh, and Jordan. No, exactly, right? Way harsh. Tell his disciples and Peter. What's that all about? That he's going on ahead of you to Galilee. And you'll see him there. Exactly as he said. Tell his disciples and Peter, even when we quit on Jesus, Jesus doesn't quit on us. This wasn't a burn notice to Peter. This was a saying, hey, buddy, you're still in the club. You're still part of this. You may have walked away from me. You may have quit on me. You may be feeling like a failure right now. We're, the, the angels tell him that Jesus is so interested in him coming back that he's going to give him special, special notice, special in. This was actually a bit of a burn to the rest of the disciples. The others, 11 faceless, nameless ones. And hey, give Peter a VIP invitation to meet me at the place I said I'm going to meet him. He thinks he's failed me, and he has. But I want him to know I haven't quit on him. And I'm going to meet him exactly where I said I'm going to meet him. Pretty good, huh? Yeah. Failed Jesus, run and hide. Don't run and hide. He's out to get you. I said this on Christmas Eve. Jesus is always out to get you when you fail him. Always out to get you, but not to embarrass you, but to forgive you. Not to humiliate you, but to restore you. We need to understand that. That's the character of Jesus. That's the genius of Jesus. Peter was out. Send him a special invitation. I know what he did. I told him he was going to do it before he even did it. And I'm the predictor. I don't make predictions. What I say is going to come true, and it did. And he thinks, he's, he thinks it's game over. No, 
get in there. I'm going to meet in there. Remember uh, about seven years ago, um, uh, I, I, I kind of share this story, and it's, I'll, I'll put a different spin on it today, so please don't tune out if you know a bit of this story. Seven years ago, I got fired from leading a church in another state. We finished there abruptly, and Louis and I drove over the border into Victoria, um, the second best state in Western Australia. Two of my friends are visiting. I'll come back to that. And, uh, and we camped out with a couple of friends of ours, uh, Rick and Marcy, and they lead a church in about an hour south of, um, of Melbourne. And they said, look, you know, come and stay with us for, for a couple of weeks. We stayed for six months. And, um, and uh, you're still here? <laughs> um, morning. Um, and uh, we, we, Rick and Marcy lead a church. We stayed with them for six months in, in their home with their family. We didn't go to their church. Uh, we kind of... We, we kind of, you know, I just got fired from leading a church, and we were kind of a bit disillusioned with the whole church thing. And um, they were incredibly gracious to us. Ironically, they, they got me preaching every six weeks because they knew that I hadn't lost my faith in Jesus. I was just a little bit ticked off about a particular church. And uh, very gracious, and that actual the whole church community really embraced us. Um, Sunday mornings, they went to church. We went to St. Kilda for coffee. And they were very gracious, allowing us time to, to heal and be restored. But they didn't define church as just one hour on a Sunday. They actually had a whole community that, 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 that came around us and did life with us. And I'll tell you this, by the way. If you've got someone in your life that, 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 that's been hurt, um, I told this to Tanya Watson a couple of months ago we met up. One of the greatest things, this isn't in my notes, one of the greatest things that Rick and Marcy and their family and their church did for us, they didn't just, you know when someone's sort of hurting and they're not quite at the top of their game? You, you kind of give them a little bit of space, and they might even do s- some stupid things and say some stupid things, um, and, and, and we tolerate them. They're, they're a bit hurt. Tolerate them. I, I'll give you a little hot tip. One of the greatest things that fast-tracked our healing was, was Rick, Marcy, their family, and the church. They didn't just tolerate us. They actually went out of their way to celebrate us. God used them to remind us that, yeah, we got hurt. Yeah, we got chewed up. Yeah, we got spat out. Yeah, I got my tie caught in that particular church's shredder. But there's still a lot of great things about us. God hasn't quit on you. Better not quit on yourself. And uh, fantastic. So actually, <laughs> towards the end of that six months, I started applying for jobs, leading churches in around the Melbourne area, doing interviews here and there and so on and so forth. And uh, starting to pick up a bit, bit of momentum. People you know, knew I was around and and uh, getting some interviews and some good churches. And, uh, and then God said to me, I want you to go back, you guys to go back to Perth. And I want you to go back to Perth. And when you get there, I'll, I'll, I'll have a church for you to lead. I've got a church for you to lead. And I'm like, care to tell me which one? He didn't. He said, no, you just got to go back to Perth. And I've got a church for you to lead when you get, when you get there. And, and, and as well as reaching unchurched people, I'm, I'm going to cause that church to be a safe place where de-churched people can dip their toes back in the water. That was, that was the line. I've never forgotten. Clear as, as anything. That, 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 that the church you lead, which, which didn't exist in, I didn't know what, which one, will be a, a, a safe place for de-churched people. In other words, people that used to follow me, maybe they still love me, but they're no longer involved in my church, no longer contributing like, like I wanted them to, a safe place for them to dip their toes back in the water. See, we were de-churched. See, 
when a D-Church person talks to us and they say, you know, hey, Mark, what do you do for a living? I lead a church. Uh, you know, I, used to, I used to be part of a church. Well, what's wrong with you? Quitter, loser, get back in the church. You're hopeless. Man, I say, yeah, yeah, I get it. What's your story? Let's, let's compare stories. I'll tell you about a time when I stopped being part of a church. You ain't going to get any judgment from me. And uh, that's the atmosphere that God's using around here. Just to, out of curiosity, I don't know, maybe it's a funny poll to take. But how many of you, before you connected in here at Elevate, were de-churched? Just curious. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and there's a whole ton of them. I wrote a bunch of names down. They're not here. They're, they're on holidays. God's doing that. They better not be, if they're going to visit other churches, they better not be giving to them. That's all I have to say. That doesn't, this, that doesn't apply to you guys. You better have given this morning, or you, can, or you can send that coffee back. This is a couple from the church that we, that we camped out, and, and, and God, uh, their surname is Adams. They're otherwise known as the Adams family. I bet you've never heard that one before. They're over here visiting family. I preached at their church in August. They said, we're going to come in January, going to come visit Elevate. So it's great to have you guys here. And, and you guys need to know that on behalf of you and, and Gateway. You, you not only, God not only used you guys to help restore us, God used you guys to help set us on a trajectory that's doing something significant here in Perth with de-churched people. You know? The thing is, with being de-churched, I don't know, maybe I'm... I don't know. I'll just say this. The thing about being de-churched is, is it's not always people that have lost their love for Jesus, but they just maybe have some reasons why they're not so fond of the church, not so switched on, not so lit up about the church. And, and, and the best thing we can do for them is, is just tell them that Jesus is out to get you, but not to embarrass you because he loves you. And, and we never lost our love for Jesus. It dimmed a little because when you're part of a church community, other people fan your flame. Our, our, our passion dimmed a bit in the six months. We didn't lose it. Um, and so I don't look at de-church people and think, oh, you must have quit on Jesus. But the, 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 the sad thing is not only the, the potential for that person to lose a bit of their intensity in following Jesus. It, it, the, the other sad thing is... is when we were de-church, we weren't contributing to God's kingdom. Uh, and, and, and we weren't adding that value. And, and so, so not only were, were we missing a key part of our calling to contribute to God's kingdom, God's kingdom was poorer because we weren't bringing our contribution. And uh, that's one of the reasons. Yeah, we're all about unchurched people. Absolutely. People that have never met Jesus. Absolutely. We go after them. Primary target market. There's a secondary target market is the de-church. People that we say, guys, tell us your story. Tell us why you disconnected from a church. And then maybe God will use Elevate to just be a safe place for them to dip their toes back in the water. What do you think? You up for that? You going to judge them? Good. I'm done. I got other notes, but I'm done. I'll say this. Let, let me put the last slide up, Zodma. When God says something, it's not a prediction, it's a promise. And uh, God said to Peter and to the disciples, go, I'm going ahead. You know, the angel said, Jesus is going ahead and he'll meet you there exactly like he said. 
he said to us in Melbourne, go back to Perth and I'll meet you there, exactly like I said. And I want to just highlight for you guys that there may be something you've left on the table, maybe something this year you failed to do, failed to respond to that Jesus called you to this year. Trust that Jesus will meet you exactly where he said. Trust that he's giving you a second chance. See, he predicted that, 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 that Peter would fail. That was the first prediction. The chatterbox would want us to only remember the first prediction. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. But then came the second prediction, that when you step towards the place that I want you to step towards, I'm going to be there to meet you, to restore you. And so I just want to encourage you on the 27th of December, is there something you've left on the table that you need to reach for and trust that God wants to use that like he did the first time he asked you to pick that up? There might be something for you, for your life personally. It might be something for you to affect other people around you, whatever that might be. It might not be for all of you. Some of you might be 100% obedient, didn't leave a thing on the table. I doubt that, but it could, it could happen. I doubt it only because like, I, I preach this stuff and I don't even do it all, all right all the time. Hypocrite. <laughs> Typical hypocrite. <laughs> I'm only hypocrite if I tell you that I get it all right all the time. Bless you. Bless you again. Let's pray. God, uh, I pray that as we cross over into 2016, that as a church we commit to new levels of faith and obedience that maybe some of the things we've shied away from in 2015 that we'll run towards in 2016 because we've got greater faith, greater trust in you. And out of that comes a greater willingness to obey that you call us to, to good things, sometimes through tests, but to good things. Pray that you use us even more to reach unchurched and de-churched people here in our city, to see your church and your kingdom grow, to see people come to know you for the first time or reconnect to you and your people. Uh, pray that we never sit still. We never rely on ourselves. We know you're the source. And we trust you in increasing ways. In Jesus' name, amen.